podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to one of the 10 best English-language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Hello, fans. Welcome back to another Viola Station. Mike and Tito watching the Fiorentina friendly. Right now, it's halftime. Fiorentina leads Regina. 4-0. Not a bad game. Seeing a couple flashes of brilliance here. What are your thoughts, bud? Pretty pleasant. If we can see that chiesa ribery Kuame connection for a full season, I think it's going to be a pretty dang good season, Mike. What are you thinking? That was a nice build-up play. A couple nice links, back passes. Chiesa then slotted it home. That was a nice build-up play. I'd like to see those guys playing together the entire season. Not sure if that's going to happen, but we'll all keep our fingers crossed. Other than that, uh, I think it looks pretty good. I've asked what you're thinking, so Mike, now it's time to ask, what are you drinking? You know, despite the fact that the United States has increased tariffs on European wine, it's a little bit harder to get some uh, wines out of Italy and Tuscany. Certainly not bringing politics into this, but I will have a conversation around, I like to see my wine a little bit more Available than it is right now, I, I am still going with the Chianti. So thankfully, I did stock up my basement before some of these things happened. So I'm going with the 2017 Chianti Classical Reserve. How about you, bud? Uh, right now, it's just water for me because it is still a little bit early, but I might be switching to more water later because everywhere on the West Coast is on fire right now, and I feel like I should probably be hydrating as much as possible and not putting anything else in my body. So when, when those fires are going on out there, do you guys just like fill your tub in case, you know, you have to jump into it at some point or what? Fortunately, we're well stocked down here in the bunker, so it's not too much of a concern, but full bathtub isn't a bad way to be. Getting down to business now, we should probably start off with birthdays. This past Friday was the 41st birthday of one David Pizarro. Happy birthday, Peck, the second best regista of his generation after Andrea Pirlo, and even that gap isn't nearly as much as people think. The streets remember Peck. 110 appearances for Fiorentina over three years, and he was just the heart of those beautiful Vincenzo Montella teams that finished fourth three years in a row. What a player. Happy birthday, David. Happy birthday, man. Those teams were just so damn good. We talked a little bit about it in the conversation that we had with Alberto Aquilani, what those midfield teams look like just back in that 2012-2015 time frame. But, yeah, he was, he was just the man. You know, seeing him come in and add that flair, bring that skill, I mean, that was just a, a level of quality that he added to this, this team, to the city, and we'll always remember it. Oh, you've got the game going in the background. Sorry, I keep on hearing voices. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I don't. You're good, man. I was, no, I don't. <laughs> like, oh, God, I finally hear the spirits. I knew this would happen. Just like the fortune teller said. <laughs> All right, so let's see now. The fires are getting closer than you thought. <laughs> oh, God, I can hear Outtakes. them. I can hear the flames. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, what, what, what was that movie? Uh, Fire Jumpers with John Cena? <laughs> oh, God, I forgot that. Man, good deep cut. Mm-hmm. Okay. And while we're talking about David Pizarro, it would be silly to not talk about Borja Valero right now, his companion in those midfields, the soul of the teams which David Pizarro was the heart of. And we're talking about Borja because Borja is coming back. Mike, how awesome is this? The only negative to this is what do I do having both Borja Valero and Dusan Blahovic on the same team? Where does my love go? There's only so much of it for, for one. I have to spread it amongst two. That's the only negative thing here. But no, honestly, I am so damn excited that this is happening. Bor has been my favorite player since I became a fan of Fiorentina. And it only makes absolute perfect sense. I think from a tactical standpoint, bringing in somebody who adds that experience, who has a level of understanding on par with Ribery, Bonaventura, and can really help with some of that link-up play that really was lacking at the end of last season. And I think it also makes sense as he's going to be transitioning out from sport into more potentially management, maybe taking a look at behind the scenes and the administrative roles. Whatever that looks like, I'd love to see him transition out and stay in Firenze and work with Fiorentina. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. He's got the connections for the administrative, the backroom type stuff. His wife, Rocio, who is just delightful as she could be in her own right, and his brother, Matias, both work for a big-time agent. And so Borja will have those connections just right off the bat that very few players do. But also, he's just such a smart player. You have a sense that he would probably make a great coach. Also, just an extremely personable guy. And I think you're right, too. As much as this feels like it's just an, an emotional correction of one of the biggest mistakes that De La Valle's made in forcing him out, big thanks to Rocco Camiso and to Daniele Prade for fixing that. I think that Borja is still a good player, even at 35. He's maybe going to be the best natural passer on this team. And I think that bringing him on for the last 30 minutes when you're up and you want to keep the ball just moving through the middle, you could do a lot worse than bringing on Borja Valero. I think that he is going to help in every possible facet for this team. Just take a look at the response that a lot of inter former inter players, inter fans have had since he's left. You know, the, the amount of praise that they've lumped onto him. He had really great games this past season. You know, so he wasn't lacking. He, he wasn't running out of energy. His legs weren't dying. I think that he probably has two-year contract. So I think he does have two years left in him if he wants that. This year, obviously, you know, we'll, we'll determine if he's going to have that extra year. But in my opinion, it's only good things for this club. And he really fits a role that we so critically needed last year. How many times were we watching the game and the midfield just broke down? And that put so much pressure on our back line because we couldn't clear the ball. We couldn't advance it up. And that's something where I think now having Borja adding in somebody like Bonaventura, there's only going to be a lot more experience, a lot more capabilities, and also tutelage. People understanding how to train some of these younger players to adapt into an environment of Serie A that's going to be conducive for a Beppe Akini team that relies so much on that midfield. Dead on. And speaking to that, you know, people talking, oh, he's 35, he doesn't have the legs left anymore. 
Let's be honest, Borja Valero was never exactly a stunning athlete. When I showed my wife a picture of him one time, she said, is that an athlete or is that a middling IT manager for some <laughs> decent-sized tech company? I mean, he, he doesn't project incredible athleticism. Great skill, but more than anything, he's a brain. And that, that doesn't leave you. So I think he's going to be great. And we're not going to ask him to start and play 90 minutes. He's going to be someone who's going to be a vice. You know, he'll be a, a vice Amrabad. He'll be coming in and filling, you know, certain roles based off of situations and, and games where we need him in, in different environments. And that's all, all we really need him to be. So from that standpoint, who else can he get better than Borja Valero bringing back the tattoo? Exactly. And he, he wants to be here too. He reportedly turned down a higher salary from Genoa to come back home. It's so good to have the mayor back in town. So one, one last thing, because it's kind of hard for me. You know my love for Borja. I'm just glad he's getting back into Florence where he can have his favorite lasagna more often than he was having it while up in Milan, turning back to the family. So uh, hopefully he'll be able to enjoy that much more often. Good for him. Shout out again to Maurizio Gamberucci. While we're talking about veteran midfielders coming into Florence from Milan, I think we should probably go ahead and talk Giacomo Bonaventura, a little bit younger, 31, and coming from the red side of Milan, also on a free transfer, two-year deal. What do you think he's going to bring to this team, Mike? You know, it's kind of hard to, to figure out where certain players fit. I, I don't think it's as difficult for Jack. You know, I think Jack is going to have opportunities to fit in, not start. I don't see him starting, maybe in some, some spot starts, but I think he's going to fill in in certain spots. And that's what we need from him as well. We talk about it with Borja Valero. Borja is probably going to help finish off some games. I see Jack coming in as a change of pace, you know, doing what he did, running on that right side for, for AC Milan for many years, getting that pace going up the right, leading some charges. He's able, more than capable of scoring goals, even if he's only going to be playing something like 30 minutes a game. I still think he's able to score seven goals this year. So I think that this was just a very, very intelligent signing by Daniele Prade, who is leveraging more of the Boseman, bringing in players for free that fit several spots on the team where we lacked last year and give different alternatives for Beppe Acchini as he's trying to, I hope, uh, reevaluate his approach from more defensive-minded to more offensive-minded. And uh, he's going to need players. He's going to need assets. And, and who better than these two, Jack included? I agree. I think that Bonaventura, as a starter, doesn't excite me a whole lot. Bonaventura, as the first midfielder off the bench, excites me quite a bit. I mean, even though he's suffered from some injury issues the past couple of years, ACLs particularly, which are always a little bit concerning, especially when you get older, I think he's the perfect guy to replace Gaetano Castrovilli when Tanino's having an off day or needs a break because Bonaventura is a good dribbler and he's still really creative. I think that's what excites me. If you look at the stats, uh, last year, according to football reference, he created almost a goal per 90 minutes, which is really, really good. And that means there is another passing threat that opposing defenses will have to account for besides just Ribéry. That'll just open up so much more space, so many more angles for runners, for dribblers like Castrovilli and Chiesa. I, I think it's a brilliant signing, especially because he's not even on a very high wage. 
and the thing we're not even talking about is the fact that yes, he will come in and he will replace Castrovilli in games from time to time. But I think what's going to be better for Castrovilli is, you know, here's a guy that Castrovilli has probably looked up to for many, many years. Jack has been on the Italian national team as Castrovilli has been trying to make his way onto that and, and has done so, you know, the past year. The, the situation for Castrovilli is only going to be positive, you know, to be able to learn from somebody who's been a, a very good professional athlete, making a very good career, having a very good national career which is everything that Castrovilli wants to do. So rather than Castrovilli having to leave somewhere and go to another club to learn from somebody like him, we actually brought that player in, gave him the opportunity to grow inside of Fiorentina, inside the city of Firenze. And, and really it's Rocco Camiso showing that he does want to build this team around Gaetano Castrovilli. As a mentor, you could not do much better than Jack. He really is a similar player. I think he's a little bit more of a passer than Castrovilli is at this point, but if anyone's going to learn him real good, it's going to be Bonaventura. So I am really looking forward to that. Guess the one thing Castrovilli can definitely do is, is help teach Jack how to dress a little bit better, potentially, though, the way he oh. showed up for his introduction. I think Gaetano can definitely help Jack dress. The college freshman circa 2005 with the cargo <laughs> shorts and the button-down light blue Oxford shirt and the sneakers. Oh, buddy. You're in Florence. You, you got to do a little better, man. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry we had to end that on a slightly sour note, but let's try to get something a little bit more fun now. Uh, let's talk Alfredo Morelos, who's popped up a lot. Front page in Glasgow said that he was moving to Fiorentina a few days ago. What do you think, Mike? Is he the kind of guy that Fiorentina could use? And if so, is he the kind of guy who will actually show up in Florence? I think the bigger question for me is he the kind of guy that we want to spend $20 million on. We already have a player that we can option depending on playing time in Catrone. That's going to cost us 20 million. Is this guy going to be better? I have not seen enough of him. I've, I've read your article as of right now, there's probably better options out there. If you want to go to spend from 20 million up to maybe 28, 30 million. And, and I think in, in the world where we're living with Fiorentina, I'd prefer to see one of two options. We keep Vlahovic, we keep Kutrone and Kwame, and we run with those guys. Or we go and send back Kutrone, have Vlahovic, Kwame, and then we go out and get somebody like a Milik. So going from 20 million up to the 30, 35 million range isn't that much but those are the two things that i'd prefer to see that's just my preference you know much more about this guy so i'm, I'm actually curious to get your opinion so i i haven't watched a whole lot of rangers over the past few years but i've watched a few games i love morelos as a player i think he would fit so well with fiorentina he's capable of holding up the ball and winning those physical duels even though he's not a real tall guy he's just st- dirty as he could be. I mean, there's a reason he's nicknamed the Buffalo, which is also just a fantastic nickname. But he, he's really good at dropping deep, pulling wide, linking play. He's got enough pace to get in behind. He really likes drifting wide. So I think that he would be fantastic in a front two with Kwame and Ribery, who both kind of do that too. He's a good goal scorer. I mean, he's, what, 14 goals minimum over the past three full seasons at Rangers. He's young. He's 24. I think he'd be a great signing. I really do. He's 
averaging a goal or an assist every 117 minutes since he moved to Rangers. That's a really good return. I like Morellas very much. The other thing, though, is that you're right. From a cost-benefit analysis, I don't know if adding Morellas and then getting rid of one of Vlaovic, Kutrone, or Kuame makes sense. I don't know if that money improves the team as much as it could if you spent it elsewhere. So to me, that's the real question. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You either get someone who has proved that they can score 18 goals in Serie A, or you dance with the one that brung you. And I'm going to further submit my answer. So we talked about leading into this that the Fiorentina friendly game is playing in the background for, for both of us. And, and as, uh, as you're talking, I'm watching and Kwame goes and scores the fifth goal where he's dancing around people inclusive, the, the, the goalkeeper. It, he's just so good with the ball at his feet. Now watching that while this, uh, you know, having this question, listening to your response, I, I'm sold. Kwame, I'd like to see Kwame get the chance. No need to spend another 20 million unless you're going to go spend 30, 35 for Milik. That's almost exactly how I feel, although I'm not honestly that convinced by Milik either. Just totally borking simple chances for me to feel very comfortable with that. I get big Mario Gomez energy right there. <laughs> and fair. Then, very fair. So while, while we're talking strikers, you told me that you had heard from a little bird that Dusan Vlaovic is going to be staying in Florence rather than moving on loan to Hellas Verona, which was the widely reported move. What does that mean to you in terms of the rest of the squad? To me, it means a couple different things. So hearing this news coming out of Florence, I, I think it's both for the field of play, keeping Vlahovic and the, and the fact that the team trusts him, his development and where he's going. There is a lot of positive news and energy coming out of practice, seeing what he's doing. He still needs to connect those things on on the field during a game. But I also think that there's a business side of this here, too. Here's a, a kid that still needs to have a, another extension. We've been talking for a couple months about extending him. Still hasn't happened. And then you heard a lot of potential breakdown between his agent and Fiorentina when they started talking about sending him on loan. So I think that this is one of those things that does have really two sides to the story, the play side as, as well as the contract side. If you're going to keep him based off of what you're seeing in practice and what you believe you can see in a game, perfect. I think that that makes absolute sense. I do believe at the end, all three, you're going to have Kwame and Vlahovic who are probably going to be the better of, of the three. But if you're also trying to extend the contract, it's going to be better by showing Dushan that you're, you're investing in him because you believe in him as a player. So we're going to extend your contract. We're going to keep you in the city. We're going to give you the opportunities to earn your time on the pitch. Go and compete against Kwame. So, so that's the recent news that I've heard. It sounds like we're, we're taking him off of the market. You're probably still going to hear rumors of teams that want to have interest in him, whether it's a loan or a purchase, but from what I've heard pretty much unanimously is that Fiorentina is wanting to keep him in the city. They do want to extend his contract and they do see him as part of this team long-term and they believe that he's going to be scoring a lot of goals for them in the future. You're dead on bringing up the financial side also. His resale value, if he has a season in the next couple of years where he gets 
12, 14 goals, he's going to be a 60 million euro player because he's just that good. I mean, you don't find people who are that large and have such quick feet, such pace, such technique very often. If he can start finishing those chances, he's basically a unicorn. Like you don't, you don't find guys like that. And I think that the, the Real Madrid stories will make a lot of sense then. So yeah, hanging on to him just from a financial standpoint makes perfect sense. Extending him, making him feel welcome because yeah, there's a reason the players are that expensive. It's because they're good. And he absolutely could be that good. Your very large adult son. So yeah, I I feel (laughs) great about it. The other thing that I'll add here about him. And and I know I keep cutting off as as we're transitioned. So I apologize for that. (laughs) Um, As far as, as far as, as Vlahovic, we know one thing about him, and this is rung true pretty much every game that he's been in. He is an emotionally charged young man. He plays with his heart on his sleeve. And I think that he approaches the off the field things the same way. I will say this, speaking several times, you and I have had, had Rocco uh, on our podcast and I've spoken a couple times off, off of that. He believes in Dusan Vlahovic. He has mentioned several times that Castrovilli is going to be that Bandiera, uh, but he believes there's other people who could. Vlahovic, his name has always come up there. Vlahovic, when there has been that positive energy, that positive news coming out of Fiorentina, he has always resonated the same message back to them. He's always said, I want to make a career in Florence. I'd love to be able to stay. I do believe, and maybe this is just, again, me emotionally getting tied into a, a player that, that I've come to, to know and love. I do believe that Vlahovic is one of those guys who can see himself in Florence long term, but only if Florence do buy into him and his, his professional career. So I think it is important right now for Florence to you know take a look at what we want to do with his career. Do we want to keep him here long term? If that's the case, snap him up. Like, no, he's ours. He's off the market. We're extending him. He's our guy. That's it. End of story. I would not be upset by that. Bringing in a bunch of experienced guys who can really provide that positive atmosphere. I mean, who who can be really unhappy when you get to hang out with Borja Valero, right? Like, that mm-hmm. that's exactly the right move. And I'm so pleased with that. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I know that you've – you've got a little bit more insight than I do on some of this stuff. And it, it makes me very happy to hear that the artist formerly known as the very large teenager is, is a good candidate to stick around for a long time. This does kind of bring us though to transfer strategies. And I think now we've got to talk about Daniele Prade. I think a lot of people got a little bit rattled at his press conference a couple of days ago. What was that Thursday? When he said that the team is complete. And I think a lot of people were really worried by that, that that meant he wasn't going to bring in any more players. So I have two points here, and then I would like to hear your thoughts on them. The first is that Daniele Prade is a sneaky, sneaky man. The team is complete does not mean I'm not bringing in more players. It just means the team, as is set right now, is pretty good. The second thing is that Daniele Prade has a history of moving very late in the window. The market doesn't close until the 5th of October, and I would be shocked if he made any big signings before the start of the month. 
so I, I really I really think there's a lot of angst right now in the Fiorentina universe that doesn't need to be there. Mike, I want to hear your opinions. You are spot on in everything that you said. I'll add some opinion there based off of your comments. First thing first, I think that we're in the same, if not same situation, very similar to where we were last year. It's just that Daniele Prade has more time in the market than he did last year when, when Rocco purchased the club. What do I mean by that? We have just so many players on this roster that need to be sold, loaned out, you know, dispersed, gotten rid of, give them ruby slippers, click your heels a couple times and go back to Kansas type thing. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's honestly the first chore that he has. And that's not an easy chore. I keep thinking to myself like, man, just sell this guy for 500,000 euro or, you know, get rid of that guy for a million, loan that guy. But even as we're seeing situations play out, Ranieri's coming back now after uh, he was supposed to be going on loan because of some, some weird circumstances. So I think that that's the first thing that he has to work through. You know, you can't bring in certain players, you know, we talked about right here, Morelos. Morelos? Yeah, nailed it. There we go. I'll eventually get to it. So we're talking about bringing him in, but it, it, you can't do that if we don't get rid of some players first. And I think the interesting thing right now that's playing out is we're seeing not only are we getting rid of the players that we've had and are redundant for a couple of years, there are conversations that if Vlahovic is staying, Kwame certainly staying, well, then what's happening with Katrone? Katrone, there's a lot of conversations about him being moved onto loan elsewhere. Aguadella, same thing. Now he's being moved on loan with, some really weird situations of us still maintaining the fact that we can purchase him at the end of this upcoming season's loan, but he's not going to be playing for us. We've heard Amrabat speak very highly. Amrabat actually in his press conference singled out Aguadello as one of those players that stood out to him, which is quite interesting because nobody's really seen anything from Aguadello on the pitch during a game. I, I think that that's the hard part that Prade has to go through first and foremost. No doubt though, you're right he's just flat out lying but that's what good directors have to do you know they can't show all of their cards we're not a club like that yeah Rocco is one of the wealthiest people in the world he's if not you know depending on the Agnelli family I guess but the richest if not one of the richest owners in Serie A but you can't just spend money because of the rules that are out there so he has a job he needs to do and he's doing it so he needs to play a little bit of charades and, and I appreciate that so I don't think that we're done. I think if you look at the team, I'm personally very happy with where we are. I like the fact that we're setting up the club and learning from last year's mistake where we, we turned it over and we didn't necessarily have the players to fit a system, to fit a coach. I think we're doing that this year, bringing in the right players to build out that system. And you're probably going to start seeing maybe a Chiesa leaves, maybe a Malinkovic leaves, maybe a Pizzella leaves. And if that happens, now that opens up our market for bringing replacement players back in, but also then you're going to start seeing a shuffling of other players on the team, I think, as well. So once a couple other things play out, then you'll start seeing other purchases. But I'll be honest, if we don't sell Chiesa, if we don't sell Milankovic, if we don't sell Petzilla, if they all renew, I'm happy if we're staying with what we have right now. I, I think keeping those three would be the best market that, that we could ever look for. You're so right, Mike. So So many fans get so hyped up about who are we going to bring in? Who are we going to bring in? A lot of the time, 
keeping your best players, especially for a club like Fiorentina, which is not the biggest, not the highest profile, not in Europe right now, starting not from the bottom, but from a pretty low place and building up, keeping those really good players, especially the young, really good players, is critical. And Fiorentina have done that so far very effectively. And that is way better than anyone they could sign on the market. You're not going to find a Milenkovic. You're not going to find a Chiesa. You're not going to find a Petzela on the market for less or even as much as you would sell them for. So keeping those guys is a huge coup. You nailed it. Mike, you're doing good. <laughs> We've only been doing 12, 13 of these, so we'll eventually get there. Everybody just has to keep listening. I guess that's all it is. My last comment here is I think it is interesting because in January, we spent a lot of money, about 70 million euros. It seems like we can actually get away with giving back about 32 of those if things play out the way that they're showing to be momentum. Aguadello going on loan, so that's no longer going to be a requirement that we purchase him. And then the same thing with Catrone. If Catrone goes on loan, we're not required to purchase him. That's 20 and 12 right there, 32 back. So that January transfer window, which did bring us a lot of talent, it's only going to be costing us about $38 million. That's pretty interesting. The finances this year are just so weird. Players going on loan to one club and then going from that club on loan to another club. It's just a mess. While we try Might to clean... just bring in Monopoly money at that point. <laughs> While we're sorting out our pieces, I'm calling dibs on the dog, by the way. We're going to go into an ad break here, <laughs> but we will be back after this. And now we are here to talk stadium stuff, and this is definitely a Mike area of expertise. What is the latest on the Viola Stadium situation? So I think that this is one of the most interesting situations that are playing out right now in the city of Florence. Uh, You're seeing a couple new players, and and by players I mean personalities, former President Renzi, and uh, coming back into the situation, lending his, we'll call it advice maybe influence, and there's a whole bunch of air quotes. Renzi was was clearly not happy with what was going on with the way that Rocco and Fiorentina were being treated. Clearly, he's a long-term fan. He loves the city of Florence. He got involved, and, and uh, let's just say that things started happening. So we do now have a new amendment inside the city of Florence. That amendment is going to allow for the piscinas of the world to be bypassed, which is good. We don't need to have those superintendents involved in all of these conversations blocking what we're trying to do, which is take a beautiful stadium that is falling apart and and turn it into something that can be used not only for us in our seasons, but also for European, you know, competitions, for other types of events being brought into the city. And again, I will speak from my experience having been to a beautiful multi-million dollar facility that Rocco Camiso has already built, Mediacom headquarters. The city of Florence loves art. Rocco Camiso builds art through architecture. This is going to be another cathedral inside of Florence that people can come and visit. You're talking about tens of thousands of jobs that will be created as a result of all of this expansion the opportunity that's going to come in with private people creating businesses outside of there. So we're in a much better place. I think, you know, if I pause there around the positive side of things, and then if I I just go back to the conversations that I've had with Rocco in the past, what did Rocco want from the beginning? You know, he wanted 
control. And he wanted to be able to do this fast, fast, fast. As of now, we're back in a situation where Rocco can probably start doing this fast, fast, fast. Rocco's heading back to Florence uh, here this upcoming week. Is He's supposed to be back. If all the paperwork is cleared and he gets the green light, his, his plane is taking off and, and he's very excited about it. I mean, this is something he's been waiting for for a long time. So he's, he's heading back over. We'll be landing in Florence to, to go be with his son which I know he misses dearly with Joe, the team to be around everybody. And, and he'll right, right away start feeling 20 years younger just because he's in that environment. I think it's going to be interesting though, because I don't necessarily know if this new amendment to what's going on in Florence is going to give him the control he wants. And what do I mean by that? So we clearly don't have the ability to ask certain questions to a Mayor Nardella, to former President uh, Renzi. I would love if somebody over there would ask this question. Does Rocco Camiso get to own the Artemio Franchi? And if so, how is that going to play out? I think a situation like what Juventus has, which is they lease the land for 99 years, but Juventus owns the stadium because it was built by their own private money is probably the best case scenario here. But that's not what I've heard. I have not heard in any of these conversations, any of these press releases, that Fiorentina and Rocco Camiso will be able to somehow acquire, whether for a fee or for free, the Artemio Franchi, be able to build the stadium in their likeness, certainly keep certain aspects of, of what the city and the fans know and, and love the, the tower being one of those. But I haven't heard that he'll be able to own the stadium while leasing the land. That piece honestly scares me because why would Rocco build something if he's not going to own it? Rocco does want to own the stadium, even if he doesn't own the land. That is something that I think still needs to play out. And Thankfully, he'll be back in, inside of Florence here pretty soon. So hopefully these conversations will, will start being had between him, the city, with former President Renzi's help and influence. But I, I would love to see, you know, some of the, the media people over there just start asking some of these questions. You know, will Fiorentina be able to own the stadium? Who owns Artemio Franchi? Because I don't think... Uh, Rocco Camiso will move forward if he's not owning the stadium, but he's just going to build $300 million, $200 million worth of a stadium that the city now owns. Makes no sense. And uh, I think the revenue piece of that is so important because Rocco's point has always been, if you don't own your own stadium, then you're not getting all the money from the ticket sales. You're still paying rent. And that basically hamstrings your finances going forward. So I, I get why he's a little bit grumpy about this. And I can see why he would turn down the option. Also, just, I mean, even getting that Juventus type deal where you own the stadium, they own the land, you lease the land. That's just very complex. It's hard to imagine something that complicated getting done in a timely fashion in Florence these days, even if you do manage to circumvent your... Superintendent Piscina. By the way, I heard uh, egg prices skyrocketed. Well done. <laughs> Here, here's where I think it can happen. Nobody wants a former person who did your job before you come in and peek it over your shoulder as you're trying to do your job. But sometimes that's necessary. And, and what am I talking about? Mayor Nardella 
and, and the Renzi situation, I think is a very unique one that plays out here. And how did we get this far? It has to be the fact that former President Renzi, former Mayor Renzi came in and, you know, went to people he knew and, and got people to do what needed to be done. And we're going towards something that's positive. Everything that I've heard from Rocco is, is positive. And, and I haven't spoken to Rocco. Let me clarify that. I have not spoken to Rocco personally since this has played out. I haven't spoken to any of his intermediaries either. All of the comments that he's made public, that's my clarification, have been very positive as far as what the changes are and the fact that they can start working on this fast, fast, fast. The biggest thing I think is who owns the stadium and will he have the control that he's looking for? That's the biggest thing. I don't think, honestly, the, the fact that Florence owns the, the, the grounds and that he would own the stadium is a bad thing. That's actually pretty simple, cut and dry. I believe that Juventus has a 99-year lease. They're not paying a single euro. It's, it's a free lease, but at some point, either needs to be renewed or the, the land goes back to, uh, to, the, to the city of Torino. I think that same thing should be what's put in place inside the city of Florence. I think that's going to be the easiest accommodation for everybody to move forward. And hopefully that, you know, clear, clear minds will prevail and we'll, we'll be able to get to that pretty soon. And we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. But for those of you who are not big fans of all of the Byzantine workings of local government and stadiums, we're going to go into something perhaps a bit more entertaining for you. And that is that Mike and I are going to make our way too early season predictions for this upcoming year. Season kicks off next week against Torino. Even though the, the transfer market is still wide open, and as we've said, we expect one more player to come in, probably towards the end of the window at least, we're going to go ahead and make some predictions so that at the end of the year, everyone can laugh at us. So, Mike, where does Fiorentina finish this year? You know, as you were doing this introduction, I just thought it was very good that last year we didn't publish our two early season predictions because we were so off. We were so, so off on those. <laughs> um, in that same mindset, I'm probably going to err on the side of being optimistic again. That's just who I am. Unfortunately, far too often my, my fanaticism takes too much of a hold of, of what I comment here. Uh, and it's going to do it again. So I'm going with it uh, between five and seven. I think we are a top five to seven team. That only means we're going up bet between three to five spots of where we finished this past season. And that was a season that we had no continuity. And that's between the breaks because of COVID, but also, you know, starting with Montella coming into Beppe. And you really had two different versions of Beppe, the, the pre-COVID, post-COVID Players now are getting accommodated to his style of play. I think it's going to be a much better season. And he also has players that are suited to him right now, especially in that midfield. That midfield is definitely going to be a strength. Kwame is going to shine. So I'm going to say between five and seven, if you're going to make me pick one, I'll go with six. That is optimistic. I am not quite as optimistic, but I think that Fiorentina will improve on their showing last year. Getting Montella out of there for the first third of the season, that's going to be worth probably another 10, 12 points just on its own. And then the continuity for the players under Yakini is probably worth another couple of points. And then adding a guy like Amrabat, adding Bonaventura, Borja Valero, getting a full season's worth of Christian Kwame, 
healthy, a full season of Patrick Cutrone once he settled in. I think this team is going to be much better than they were, especially at the start of last year. That said, I think Serie A as a league has also strengthened, so I'm calling eighth place. I'm saying they make a real strong push for Europe, but end up falling just short, and that will kick off a few more changes at the end of the season. But it sounds like we're not that far apart, so I guess the next question we have to ask... Who do you think is going to be the best goalkeeper? And I know this is a tough one for you. During a break that we just had here, all we could gawk about was Strakowski's penalty save and how beautiful it was. And the sheer fact that he literally looks like if he was running towards your town, you're like, all right, I need to go and run because a Viking is is definitely coming. He's, He's just a mountain of a man. Strakowski, clearly, very easy. Second to that, he looks... He looks like he's gotten thicker over the summer, like there's more of him in a package that's supposed to be the same size. I think maybe he's just been on the weights like crazy because he he looks like he is ready to pick up anyone and break them over his thigh if they irritate him. And Igor. I would pay to watch them thumb wrestle. (laughs) Speaking of Igor, let's talk. Who do you think is going to be the best defender this year, which is maybe a little bit of a trickier proposition? This is definitely tricky because two of the players that you would think that you would go with are potential transfer cases, depending on if they renew their contract or not. To say that both renew their contract and stay with inside the city of Florence, Milenkovic, I have to stick with my boy, talk about another mountain of a man. He is growing. He is just becoming better and better every year, both defensively as well as heading those balls home on set pieces. He is everything that you want a defender to be. Man, we're two for two now, because I think that, assuming he stays, which right now seems fairly likely, I thought Milenkovic was the best defender on the team last year. I think he will be again. He just looks so much more confident on the ball, and you can see everything starting to connect for him. There were a few times last year where you could you could see him like look at a runner, look at the ball, and then realize where he needed to be about two seconds before he needed to be there. And just watching that anticipation really kick in and watching him grow has been so much fun. I, I think he is well on his way to being one of the best in the world. So let's, let's move a little bit further forward. Who do you think is going to be the best midfielder? You know, this one's equally as tricky, but for a different reason. Neither of these two players that you would think are going to be the ones that you would choose between are going to be transfer targets. Uh, they're not leaving anytime soon. But I'm I'm going to actually say Castrovilli. I, I think that the odds-on favorite would be Amrabat because he was the best for long period of the time. Last year for Hellas Verona, he was the best midfielder in the league for them. Because he's coming in, I think he's actually going to make Castrovilli's job that much easier. Castrovilli was just surrounded by defenders as soon as he got the ball towards the second part of the first half and, and moving on. But because we actually have a better midfield, we have Duncan, we have Valero, we have Jack. I actually believe that Castrovilli's job will become that much easier. As a result, I'm going to go with Castrovilli. Safe answer. And I, I came so close to agreeing with you here. That's actually what's written in my notes. But I have changed my mind since we started recording. I think you're right that Castrovilli is going to just become so much more complete as a player. 
this year. He started to show signs defensively. He was a lot better. If he can figure out all the fouls, he'll be in great shape. But I'm still going Amrabat just because I think that he is the sort of player that we have not seen in Florence probably since David Pizarro left. Just that, that ability to pick up the ball deep and then keep it under pressure and then hit that long, long switch of play. Milan Badel had moments of that, but he also had moments of utter catastrophe, even when he was at his best. And I don't think that Amrabat has those howlers in his game. I think that he is going to change the shape of this midfield. I think he's going to make everyone around him a lot better. And I am very excited to see him for a full season in Florence. I would never argue with you over your choice. I think he could easily be the best player on the team next year, this year. It's already here. Uh, And real quick, so before we transition, I did a little bit of research to your response of where are we going to finish. So I heard two things. Beppe versus Montella, 12 points. Another 10 points because of something. I forget what it was. But do you know what 22 points, if we have 22 extra points from last year's finish, it would actually slot us into fifth. What, 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 are you bringing science into this now, Mike? No, come on, man. Fifth. This is, this is all about emotions and feelings. Fifth. I'm not changing my answer because I don't believe in science, but you've right. got a decent point, and, and I'll let you have this one. And I can do research. How about that? You're usually the research guy. Oh, man. Uh, am I going to have to start cutting intros now and like talking to, uh, talking to people at the club? This is, oh, this is going to be terrible. No, I'll just stop doing the research. <laughs> <laughs> I feel great about that. Okay. Uh, so for next year, who do you think is going to be the best forward? Kwame. Kwame. It's it going to be Kwame, in my opinion, very easily. I think he's going to show this club what he was capable of when Rocco Camiso saw him play against us in the second game last year and said, Daniele Prade, I want that guy. You go get me him, despite you know him having an ACL injury. We brought him in. Easily Kwame. And we are back in alignment. I think that Kwame is in line for a massive season. Before he shredded his cruciate ligament last year, he was on pace for 22 goals and assists after those 11 games in the league. He is going to be a lot better this year because he's surrounded by a lot more talent. I mean, with respect to Genoa, when you go from having Goran Pandev next to you to Franck Ribéry, Federico Chiesa, Gaetano Castrovilli, Patrick Cutrone, Jack Bonaventura, it's not, it's not even close. Like that, he's he's going to have so many more opportunities. I think the player we saw at the end of last year when he got in for a little bit of the restart is not even close to the player we're going to see once he's got a, a whole few months to really recover physically, mentally, get his, get his mind right. I mean, he didn't expect to play last year, remember? He was supposed to be out for the whole year. He was obviously lacking some sharpness by the time he, he took the field. But this year, I think he's going to be positively lethal, and I am so excited. He's, he's why I don't think this team needs to add a striker all that much. So next up, we got to look at who is going to be the best new signing. And I think we can have two categories for this. I think the best signing Sofyan Amrabat division is going to be Sofyan Amrabat. But who do you think is going to be the best new signing in the non-Sofyan Amrabat division? Can it just be an emotional choice? Because I'm just going to keep it an emotional choice. I don't care what you say. <laughs> Bringing back Borja Valera is the best thing that this club has done in a long time. That's it. 
I, I don't think anyone's going to argue that with you. I think that he's going to make such a difference in training, in the dressing rooms, off the field. I, I, I do want to throw out there, just for funsies, that I think Christian Delamura is going to get a call up and probably have a couple of appearances for this team is first with this with the senior side and I think he's going to do pretty well I, again I don't think he's going to play very much I think we could see him make his bow and I, I think he's going to impress in his very limited minutes I know he is also one of your guys yeah listen uh, I think that that's a very interesting suggestion if he stays and doesn't go on loan I, I think that that can definitely happen especially if one of Milinkovic or Petzela were to be sold now you're bringing in somebody that you don't know, you know, from, from a transfer situation. And you have a mix of that person you don't know, Igor, Caceres, and then your boy right there. So I, I think that that can easily come true. We'll see how the, the Mercado plays out because he can also go on loan. And then let's do one more, one more here for the players. Who do you think is going to be the breakthrough player of the year? The guy who didn't come in with real high, high expectations or the guy who's young and untested, but who ends up becoming a key part of this side. What you got? So because you just threw a curve, I'm going to throw a curve here. I'm going to go with Ricardo Sotil. I think the best move that was made this transfer window was sending Mr. Sotil to a team that's more fit for his growth as a young player. Getting him on an offensive-minded team, putting him on the wing, letting him run, letting him dribble, letting him grow, I think was one of the best things that could have done. I've heard a lot of the people talking about it, the fact that it was a loan with a potential purchase and then an opportunity to buy him back makes perfect sense. Worst thing that comes out of it with, with Fiorentina is they, they lose $2 million. Uh, and I think that that is money well spent to allow Ricky Sotil to to grow his career in a place where he wasn't going to have those same opportunities in the system we're running right now. I sure hope it works out that way. I'm just, I have a lot of trouble feeling very optimistic about the buyback clause because that's just such a complicated thing. We almost never see it get used by teams. I mean, a lot of teams sell players with a buyback clause, but when's the last time you can think of, of an example of it actually being triggered? So I, I really hope you're right. I really hope that Sotil goes out, tears it up in Sardinia, and then comes back and establishes himself as one of Italy's best wingers. But, oh man. Either way, he'll break through there. He will break through. Oh, for sure. I I like how we we're both just completely convinced that's how it's going to be because he's just yep. so talented and god those eyes oh those blue eyes Hair. what a oh he's such a handsome man goodness me <laughs> sorry I, I i've seemed to have lost my train of thought as i contemplate ricardo sotio what, what what were we talking and about back Mike? from a five minute break <laughs> <laughs> oh who am i what's happening where are we <laughs> Right, uh, breakthrough player for me. I think it's Igor. I think he's okay. I think he's going to have a great year. It, it seems to be he seems yeah. to be working mostly at wing back in the preseason rather than in the in the back three. I think that could very well change this year. With respect to Martin Casares, who I think surpassed all of our expectations last year and yep. was really quite good. I don't think it's very likely that he's going to play a full slate of games 
he's just had so many injury problems over the years, and as he gets older, it's only going to get worse. And I think there's a good chance that he misses a significant chunk of time this season. And I think that Igor is the natural man to step in to that slot. And I think he is going to really, really shine and show us that he is an excellent player. And also that he has thighs as big around as my head. <laughs> that's a good choice. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think that that's a phenomenal choice. And I'm with you there. I think that that was one of the very smart purchases by Daniele Prade last, last Mercado. And I think that that is an opportunity for us to buy a player young, develop him, and see him grow to where Milinkovic is now at this point. And, you know, think back a couple of years ago, we didn't have those big, stocky dudes on the team. Now we got Dragowski, Vlahovic, Milinkovic, Igor. Like, we got some big dudes on the team. And that's nice to see because that's something that we need as we're going up against some of these bigger clubs, older more mature. We still have a young squad, but we have people that can definitely regulate out there Warren G style. I was really hoping that was going to seg into a Warren G reference. Since you just, since you did just make the uh, unexpected connection, let's do one more unexpected (laughs) thing. What's going to be your biggest surprise for the year? Make one crazy prediction for this upcoming season, Mike. My prediction is going to be a three-year prediction. My prediction is that the stadium is going to be approved. Rocco Camiso, now that he will be back in Florence, will negotiate that he can own the Franchi, build fast, fast, fast with control. This team will finish sixth, potentially fifth, go into Europe. And within the next three years, we will actually be in the Champions League by the time the stadium owns uh, opens up. So it's a rolling prediction. Yeah, Mike, that is a crazy prediction. Mine is not nearly as crazy. I'm calling Christian Kwame scoring 19 goals, which now just seems downright sane and reasonable. So, man, maybe yeah. we should move on. Well, and that brings up a pretty interesting point. So I know that you and I were responding to a couple people on Viola um, Nation in, in the comments section. And I said, I actually have a question for you, but I'm going to save that question for the podcast. So here it is. Christian Kwame style. A lot of people are talking right now about the fact that we're not purchasing a big striker, not somebody who's scoring 18, 19 goals a season. In your opinion, if we purchased Christian Kwame in this transfer window, so we didn't purchase him in January, we purchased him in the summer, would that be enough to excite you? Would that be enough to excite the fans moving forward? Yes. Good Lord. Yes. That, 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 yeah. That's so easy. He's such. uh, Sorry, I'm going to take a moment to gather myself here again. And it's not even social related this time. Yes. (laughs) Christian Kawame is a fantastic young player. He has already proven that he can score goals in Serie A. He's versatile. He's got every physical talent. He's a good finisher. He's got technique. I mean, he is is definitionally a complete striker. I, I don't know why so many people seem to think that this team needs to bring in an Andrea Bellotti or a, a, an Arek Milik or one of these proven mid to late 20s veteran strikers. Like, sure, they're, they're all good. They're, at this moment, probably better than Christian Kwame, yes. But for the amount of money you're spending and the amount that you're improving in that spot, 
I don't think it's even close to worth it. I think that Kwame is a year or two away from blowing up and scoring 20-something goals in the league. I think he's going to do it in Florence, and I remain convinced that he is going to be one of the best number nines in Italy in the next few years. And I'm with you 100%. And I think that it just needs to be said, you know, we need to ask those questions because a lot of our readers, a lot of the fans right now are very unhappy with the approach, particularly with people coming in to basically for us to go and buy goals. I think the goals actually exist on the team. I don't necessarily believe that we were lacking moving forward. We were lacking in that midfield. Look what we did with that midfield right now. I think the biggest glaring holes for me is on the wides, you know, the wings. That's where we need to start focusing and finishing the team off, in, in my opinion here. Exactly. The, the spine of this team is already ridiculously strong. I mean, sure, you can quibble that Kuame, Katrone, Vlaovic, none of them have shown that they can do it over a full season in Serie A. But also when you're a young team, a building team, and you're a team at Fiorentina's profile without European competition or financial income, I mean, you, you got to take a risk somewhere. And this is a great risk to take that Kuame or maybe Katrone, maybe Vlaovic goes off this year. I don't know why you would worry so much, yeah, about the strikers when you've got three very good, very talented young guys and your wingback situation is looking a little bit bare. I mean, I like Chiesa at right wingback. I think that's been working really well. I do have a few concerns about his ability to hold up defensively, but he's been excellent there. And also moving him to a wingback role gives him more space to build up speed, get ahead of steam with the ball. On the left, I think there's also some some real questions. Lirola was not good there last year. We've agreed on that. He was he was just catastrophic on the left, poor guy. He's clearly way better on the right. Dalbert still hasn't reached an agreement to come back, hearing that there's interest for him out of Turkey now. So maybe maybe he's done That's in Florence. Too. Yeah, which shows that he's probably a very good player because Ladea don't make stupid purchases. Cristiano Baraghi, I know not one of your favorites, but a perfectly adequate Serie A player at minimum, although he also had to leave this friendly that we just wrapped up with an injury. So all of a sudden, that's an issue. Lorenzo Venuti, I love him. Perfect bench guy, much better on the right. That left wingback spot is just such a glaring weakness right now. And yeah, I don't know why everyone's so worried about strikers when there's three perfectly adequate options on the roster right now and a glaring hole elsewhere. A healthy Kwame probably costs $40 million. Had Without he finished a doubt. Last season healthy, $40 million this past summer he would have cost, which means you're spending $10, 5 or $10 million more to get him this past summer than we would be going after players we're talking about right now. So I'm with you. I think that bringing in Kwame in January actually fills the need. I think Prade did a great job, absolutely phenomenal looking forward. That left wing spot is the biggest pull. I'm not as convinced with, with Chiesa on the right. I know you are, and you're oftentimes more right than I am. So I'm going to believe you here. I am oftentimes right because, guys, Andre Duda signing any day now. <laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna to switch gears completely here. Uh, we focused almost entirely on the men's team, but 
Fiorentina Femminile also had a game this past week, and they are now on an extended break for the internationals. So we're not going to talk about them as much for a while, but we should probably talk about a pretty wild 3-2 win in the derby over Florentia. Mike, what were your takeaways from that? My my takeaways were this was definitely an interesting game. My first takeaway was, man, is it hard being Tita? There's a lot of pressure doing that Twitter thing. You you do a great job, and I don't think enough people give you the credit you deserve. So first and foremost, thank you for always doing Twitter, and and try not to do that too much to me anymore. I oh no, I thought you were great. I think I think we should uh I think that should be one of your new responsibilities, definitely, is running the yeah. Twitter during games. <laughs> oh man, a lot of pressure. But you know, I, I think the the whole situation where's Kessel um, Medog, I, I think that wondering where she is and, and how she's doing. Looking at the first game, looking at the third game, there was a big difference between the midfields. From my standpoint, the biggest issue is is yes, of of course, it, it's a it's a derby game. I get it. But that midfield was was just sloppy and uncharacteristically sloppy. And we have a lot of talent there that normally is refined, is normally having no issues, you know, delivering the ball, getting the ball, moving it pretty quickly. But we, pass after pass, we're just giving it away in our own half. And that put a lot of pressure on our back line. I was actually very impressed with the way that the back line handled it because they were getting pressured just so, so much. Go up two, then we give up two, and, you know, it was a, a back-and-forth game. But you still thought, by the way, if the, the way the game was going, as soon as we got the ball past our midfield and we advanced it into their half, we got it onto our wings and we allowed ourselves to run in space, there were a lot of situations that just said, this is our game to win. The fact that Daniela Sabatino had three goals that were called for offsides. We, we were converting. We had a lot of opportunities, and I think that clearly we deserved to win. Obviously, we did. 3-2, very deserved. But the best thing that I took out of that game is we just had Jinkota on our, our podcast. There's a lot of coaching opportunities for a three-win, top-of-the-table, goal-scoring machine Fiorentina Feminelli that now Antonio Cincota has with an extended period of time. He needs to now go break down that film. He'll have an opportunity when the players come back to start coaching them, to start building them back up, to start getting them into the flow of the way that we you know, know and expect him coaching the teams. I think that's the best thing that came out of that game. We got three points. But now there's a coaching opportunity for Chincota to go back to them and say, hey, listen, that was too close. Here's what we need to do. We're much better than that. If we're going to win the Scudetto, we need to start with the here and now. And he talked about that on our, on our podcast. I, that, that's my thoughts on, on the actual game. I thought it was phenomenal that we came back and, and scored. I think that there's a, a lot of opportunity moving forward to get better, though. I, I agree with you. I think that giving Chincota a few weeks to look at things and figure out what's been going wrong. If you give that guy 10 minutes to look at things, he'll figure it out. You give him a few weeks, he's yeah. going to scheme up something brilliant. I think the midfield, you're right, was just very problematic. I, I love Greta Adami, but I'm not crazy about her in the holding role as much. I think you're right. I think Stephanie Breitner, who is usually fantastic, I really like her as a player. I think she just happened to have an off night, which, you know, that happens. With Middog, 
not available for whatever reason, those are your only two really proven holding players in midfield unless you want to move Claudio Neto further back, which clearly was not part of the plan. And I think that showed because, yeah, getting the ball from the back to the front was a very labored process, let's say. The other thing that really struck me as I watched it was that the fullbacks, uh, Togerson and Zanoli and then Vigilucci later on on the left, are just get, they're getting forward so much and leaving so much space in behind. And I wonder if that means you, re- you need to sort of shift that midfield a little bit and leave two holding midfielders back so that there's one available to shuffle across and cover for the attacking fullback and then one still occupying the middle. To me, that seems like the easiest fix, but that also has knock-on effects further forward. But hey, it's also kind of crazy that I'm nitpicking a team that's averaging four goals a game, is top of the table, has Daniela Sabatino, who is just undeniably the best striker in Italy right now, that has Tatiana Bonetti, two more assists for Tati, by the way, which I think puts her at the top of the assists chart. I mean... This team is just so much fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I just can't, I cannot believe I'm having so much fun watching a Fiorentina team after the past half decade of the men's. It's, this is just delightful. Not this past game, but the game before, who was at uh, Napoli. I was texting back and forth with uh, Alessandro Sisto, who's the president of Fiola Club New York. One of the first times he was getting on to watch Fiorentina women's Fiorentina Feminale game, and, and he was amazed by the level of play, the speed, the skill, the athleticism. I think that right now, everything you said is absolutely correct. It's catching on. In ways that it wasn't catching on before, I think you're now starting to see more and more people in Florence, more and more people in Tuscany, more and more people in Italy willing to support women's football the way that it should be supported. And that's only going to be better for everybody. I think you're now also starting to see more coverage for Fiorentina Feminale over in Florence. And and that's important. You know, we've we've always, you know, told our friends over there that they need to cover Fiorentina Feminale more and, and they need to be the ones that are getting on the forefront of that. You know, get in early. Don't get in late. You know, be the ones that change the way that the that the sport is perceived. That's important. So I, I think that everything that you said is absolutely spot on. They're top of the table. They had their worst game despite winning three two going into a break that's giving Chincota a lot of time to coach them up. And now we can come back and, and get right back at it. And, and there's a lot of excitement going into it, inclusive of who they just signed. Yeah, Mike, would you like to talk about Abby Kim a little bit? Because I know you wrote up a really good piece introducing us to her. And for me, as someone who lives in the Pacific Northwest now, this is just the most exciting thing imaginable. Who is Abby Kim, Mike? So this has to be one of the more exciting things for American fans of Fiorentina to happen in a long time. Janelle Cordia plays for the team, and that was very, very exciting uh, when she moved to the club last year. I think she's going to be a big part of the club this year. But taking a player who's coming from the NWSL, who just got drafted by the Orlando Pride, Taking somebody who was playing with Alex Morgan and, you know, just all the studs that are on that team. I mean, my goodness, bringing her and her skill set into Florence 
in a position of dire need after we lost Ali Aguani, I think is just going to be something that can play out to be a, a perfect scenario. The only thing that I'm not aware of, and I'm still waiting to hear, unfortunately, I haven't been able to, to clarify with my contacts and nobody else has put it out over in Florence, is what is the arrangement? You know, here's a player who is just, you know, drafted as the 26th in the NWSL. There was a lot of excitement with her coming into the Orlando Pride. She's an upstart player, a lot of natural ability, a lot of skill, but still needs to kind of tie all these things together. I can't imagine they're willing to give her up, you know, so what is the the, the situation there? I'm still waiting to see what that looks like. But I do know that Chinkota is very excited to get her on the team. She had to go through a pretty deep, intensive process, took a little bit of time between when they started having these conversations in in and around July to where we brought her over and we saw her at the Florencia game. There's only there's only excitement to be had here. You know, I think that somebody who is a second team, third team, all Pac-10, somebody who's scored 18 goals and had 10 assists, and she's not even really an attacked offensive-minded person. You know, she really feeds off of getting back deeper. So I, I do see her filling in maybe potentially long-term, maybe only short-term for Ali Gowani in, in that fullback role, because I, I think that that's where her athleticism in Serie A is, is going to be best suited. Now we just need to see her on the pitch, you know. So clearly it took a while for her to get in. She had to still go through a lot of testing just even this past week. So she'll be working with Chincota. She'll be working with the girls. I saw that already Viola Club Go Women's were, were helping her get acclimated. They were out to, di- to dinner with her already, her and, and a couple of the other players. So there's a lot of really good, positive things going on in the city of Florence with the girls, with the Viola Club Go Women's, and, and that dynamic continues to build out. And I don't know if that dynamic exists really anywhere else inclusive of Orlando where you have a a really good squad there I mean maybe Abby comes here and wants to stay I I can't blame her if she does if you could live in Orlando or you could live in Florence which one are you going to take you can offer me anywhere I'm going to live in Florence (laughs) you you got the Duomo or you've got Mickey Mouse Epcot Center or the Duomo yep that's it oh man I yeah, well, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about Disney because, you know, everyone knows you don't mess with the mouse because the litigators are not to be stopped. But yeah, I'll take Firenze every time there. I also think that just as a, as a playing situation, Fiorentina is the best team for right now, given the, the personnel and the playing style, as we've seen uh, with Alia Wanyi leaving, even though she was back around the team this this week, which was really cool to see. The the right back right now is Frederica Thogerson, who is by trade a winger who loves to get forward. She's maybe the best crosser of the ball in Italy, but she's playing her first ever season at right back, having Abby Kim, who seems like a perfect understudy to use just her, her searing pace to get forward on the overlap, which has been such a part of the team's identity in this young season. This is exactly where she needs to be for her own development. If her future is at fullback, she could not have landed in a better spot learning under Chincota, like n- not replacing Aliawanyi because you don't replace someone that good. Mm-hmm. 
but but filling those shoes, learning under Fred Togerson, who is an experienced international in her own right. She's just hit the exact right situation. She's hit the jackpot. And I'm so glad that she has. I mean, partly because, you know, getting another Pacific Northwest person over there is cool. Another American is cool. I, I'm just, I think she's really done well. And my understanding on the draft is that the Pride drafted the rights to sign her, but did not draft her as a player. So Kim is still free to sign with whatever club she wants to sign with, despite the draft results. So I'm hoping that this is not a loan, that this is a permanent move. That would be nice, because I think that this is an investment in the future, her future, and ours, if she's able to stay. This is going to be a player that has a lot of potential to make a very big impact with Fiorentina Feminale for many, many years to come. Antonio's excited. We're clearly excited. And uh, I know she is. You know, this girl from, you know, watching a lot of her videos, seeing some of her interviews, she loves the game of football. And there's nothing you want more than seeing a girl coming in and, and just start kicking butt who loves the game. A lot of excitement here. A lot of excitement. Viola Station is hosted by Mike and Tito. Tito also produced this episode. Our theme song is Great Catch by Witch on Weather. Check them out at witchonweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the podcast from Viola Nation. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola.
Social Podcast Network.